You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. We continue our study in evangelism. That's okay. You haven't seen each other all week. It's, it's understandable. I get it, you know. Um, as you're taking your seats, let me just uh, remind everybody about, since we're going through evangelism, Ray Serko is right. This is a perfect time. To have a shameless applause. Thank you, Alder Van Drunen. <laughs> this is more important. Um, these cards uh, we've had made up, the missions committee had these made up, and they actually give information about the church. They welcome, uh, has our address, website, times for everything, and you can fold it up, put it in your pocket. And if you're out someplace and somebody asks you, you can actually, well, if I can get it out of my pocket now, you can hand it to them, and it's a great thing. And they're out there on the desk, I'm told, and so you can just take them and use them, uh, hand them out to folks, and we'd be happy. This is a wonderful thing the Missions Committee has done. They're very tastefully done, too. Okay, well, let's continue. We'll open with prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we praise you for this Lord's Day. It is the Christian Sabbath, and on this day you have pledged to bless your people, and we're thankful that we can be called by your name. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who reigns supreme, who even now intercedes for us, and for the Holy Spirit, who dwells in our hearts, who leads and guides us, who enables us to bear fruit for the glory of Christ. We pray for his blessing on what we do here. We think of the church plants in our presbytery, Story Church and Christ Presbyterian Church, and we pray that you'll bless them, Lord, as they worship this day. Add to their number and deepen their faith. Increase their love for Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have neglected to pray for the church plants, so thankfully Ray reminded me. We continue. Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Is that better? We continue our work in evangelism this morning. We're looking, much of what we talk about this morning comes from a book by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. You remember Greg was the one who authored What is the Gospel? And they talk about the mission of the church. So as you think about evangelism, it's important to understand what is the mission of the church because it's different from the responsibility of individual Christians. So I think it's an important distinction and it's appropriate for us to address this now. So the mission of the church is not bringing social justice to the world. Oh, good. Okay, it's out there. This has been a debate over the many, many years, the social gospel. There are many ailments, problems in our society, and it's a good thing to address those. But is that the responsibility of the church? Is that the mission of the church? And that's the question. So the mission of the church, what we're arguing, or what they're arguing in this book, is that it's not bringing social justice to the world, although social justice can be a very good thing. 
And they say some people, or sometimes people, put oughts where there should be cans. What does he mean by that? We ought to do something about illegal drugs, AIDS, education, crime. Whereas Christians can do something about these important issues in society. So they come to the church and they say the church ought to be about solving these problems in society. And the response that we give is, look, Christians can do something about these important issues in society. I hope you can understand that distinction. Missional thinkers, and that's, I put that in quotes because missional is sort of a technical identification of folks who <clears throat> think that we should transform culture, that that's the responsibility of the church. And missional thinkers have both strengths and weaknesses that must be appreciated. Those who think that the oughts should be there rather than the cans, okay? Missional thinkers telling us to solve these social problems warn us against a careless, loveless, inactive indifference to the problems of society. These are important. Um, illegal drugs, AIDS, education, crime, these are important issues. So they help us to appreciate their importance. We can't be dualistic, which simply refers to something like the soul is good and the body is irrelevant. And that is a Gnostic error. It's an ancient heresy called Gnosticism, which basically said whatever you do in your body is irrelevant. It's unimportant. What's really important is the soul, the kernel. Yet these missional thinkers can also be overly optimistic about things and exhausting to people around them. You know, you always have to be active in society, solving problems. Their unrealistic dreams of transforming society into some sort of Christendom tend to blur a God-centered focus. This is God's responsibility, ultimately, and to diminish the gospel for sinners. As we'll see, the church's primary responsibility, the church's mission, is to preach the gospel to all the earth. So missional thinkers have their strengths, we appreciate that, and they have their weaknesses, and we have to understand that. The question is, what is the church as the church appointed to do in the world for the sake of Christ? <clears throat> what is the mission of the church? It's wise as we try to answer this question to find explicit commands in Scripture because our task is not the same with whatever God is doing. God is at work in the world. He is in some sense, solving some of these problems. But as Jesus told us, you'll always have the poor with you. It's wise, as we try to answer this question, look at the New Testament rather than the Old Testament, because there we see God's grace is at work in both, but there we see that it's concerned mainly with national Israel, the theocratic state so a lot of times what applied in the Old Testament to Israel doesn't apply to the church in the New, okay? It's wise to hear Jesus for direction because he's the king and head of the church and he has all authority. So what would he tell us is the mission of the church? And the Great Commission texts basically sum up major themes such as discipleship, authority, and kingdom. Let me just stop and see if there's any questions or comments at this point. Okay? 
hopefully we understand why we're addressing this topic. It's important. Okay? So Matthew 28, probably the locus classicus for the mission of the church. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that basically has been called the Great Commission. It is, I think, the primary text in answering this question. You might know that in Scripture, mountains are where important instructions and revelation are often given. Mount Sinai, the Sermon on the Mount. So here we are again on the mountain, and Jesus is commissioning the church to do what he wants us to do. And the commission is based exclusively on his supreme authority. All authority has been given to me. He is the king and head of the church. So whatever Jesus tells us to do, we have to do. He doesn't have to say it twice. He sends out the church in the name of the one who has already conquered the enemy. He's the risen Christ. He has been spending 40 days with his disciples. He's instructing them in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And now he is commissioning the church throughout all the ages. And you'll notice in this great commission, there is one main verb, one controlling verb, and three subordinate participles. For you grammarians, the main verb governs the sentence. Participles qualify the verb. Okay? So, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. The main verb is make disciples. That's the imperative. It reveals the primary thrust of the Great Commission. That governs everything. Make disciples. The three participles, go, or going, baptizing, teaching. Go, is in our translation, is... You might think that that's an imperative as well. Go. I remember hearing a story about... Remember Urbana? Does that still go on, the Urbana conference? I think it's a missions conference. Great thing. It's not... But as you go into the... I heard the story. You went into the Urbana um, conference center, and over the doors as you walk in, it said, go, dot, dot, dot. In other words, go. That's the commission. You just go. And here we discover that go is not a main verb, it's not an imperative verb, it's simply a participle. In other words, as you go, wherever you go, make disciples. That's how it qualifies. So those of us who aren't going someplace don't have any false guilt about staying home, raising our children, serving the church, and so forth, right? Um, Going, baptizing, teaching. Sue, you got a question? Right. That's how our translation looks at it, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. But it's really as you go, or going. It's a participle. 
Going, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. You can see how those three ing verbs, participles, um, qualify, make disciples. So the primary thrust here, the real command is for the church to make disciples. You convince, you convert, you disciple, you edify, you confirm, you comfort. That's what the church is supposed to be about. This is the commission that he gives. Ruth Ann? Yep, yep. You can distinguish between a main verb, an imperative verb, and a participle very easily. Yeah. So I don't blame the translation. <clears throat> I mean, it might seem kind of strange to say, well, going, make disciples, or as you go. So they just say go. But the implication there is as you go anywhere. It could be here. It could be in Latin America. It could be in Africa. Wherever you go, make disciples. That's the important thing. So the church is to be about primarily, fundamentally, principally making disciples. And that involves, of course, conversion and edification. So we're not focused solely upon converting them, although that's huge. Evangelism, right? We're also focused upon building them up. Establishing them in Christ, strengthening the faith of God's children. What does Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Three times the emphasis. Feed my sheep. And I fear that there is a uh, famine going on in the world today. Because I think churches, you appreciate their intent. They do see the problems of our society. And they do want to do good and they want to help others, but they don't recognize that that is the responsibility of Christians, God directing them, whereas the church has this very narrow focus. Who else is going to make disciples? Where else are we going to have the workplace of recreating grace? You know, the authoritative proclamation of the word of God and the promises of the gospel. So that's what we have, a main verb, three participles. Wherever you go, all along the way, make disciples, and notice, baptizing and teaching them in that order. <clears throat> I do believe the order is important there. Others would disagree with me, saying that, and good men, that baptizing and teaching are on a par. It doesn't matter. You can teach, baptize. But I think the order is important, that you baptize them, you set them apart as Trinitarians, under the authority of the triune name, and then you teach them how to live as a Trinitarian Christian. So I think baptizing and teaching, that's how we make the disciples. That's the mechanic, the, the method of making disciples. Um, you'll see in the New Testament, for example, those who come to Christ, they're baptized right away, and then they're taught. They're instructed. Um, they're edified. There need, therefore, be any false guilt about not going across the country or overseas. You make disciples everywhere, anywhere, all places. And if you go, that's wonderful. I'm not trying to say don't go. I'm just saying you don't have to go and feel false guilt. The commission includes or concludes with a far-reaching guarantee of our Lord's presence and support. So we have this wonderful, great commission that I think delineates clearly and succinctly the responsibility of the church. So if somebody comes and says, hey, why don't we do something? There's so many hungry people in Akron. Let's, the church, 
let's go and let's have a soup kitchen. I know, um, I know a church where on the fifth Sundays of the month or the year, fifth Sundays of, whenever a month has a fifth Sunday, you know what I mean. Um, they will, instead of worship, they'll go do a service project someplace. Again, the intent, I get, it's good that we should be about helping others, serving. But you can't, you can't absent yourself from the king's summons to do service that we're supposed to be doing all the time anyway. He summons us to worship. It's covenant worship. We ascribe to him glory on his day, in his sanctuary, according to his method. And he promises to bless. Why would you relinquish that? So anyway, uh, good intent, but I think uh, a misunderstanding of the text. Any questions at this point of this commission? Jonathan? Only indirectly, as part of the church. So it has nothing to do with individual Christians as individual Christians. It's given to the church collectively, organizationally, you know. Um, <clears throat> so we, we attend and we're, we're participating. And so in that sense, it does affect us. We present ourselves for baptism. We present ourselves for the Lord's Supper. But it has nothing to do with individuals individually. It's a great question, though, and that's important. That distinction, I think, is lost on many people. The distinction between what's the responsibility of the church and what's the responsibility of the Christian. Very different. As we'll see, I forget what slide it's on, but the church, make disciples. Don't get sidetracked. The Christian, love God and your neighbor. That's huge, right? You can go down there and serve food in Akron. That's wonderful as a Christian. But the church can't get sidetracked. I think the devil is very adept at using otherwise good things to sidetrack the church from its primary responsibility. You know. Okay, other texts. We have Mark 13.10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. You see there, in Jesus' words, the primacy of proclamation. We are to be, as a church, you are to be God's ambassador, Christ's agent of evangelization and edification. Mark 14, 9, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You remember the woman who came in and wiped his feet with her tears and her hair. And it's this idea that this message, what an honor, and this message of the gospel goes out to the whole world. And the only way that it does that is through the agency of the church. So these are not just predictions, although they are that, but that the gospel will be proclaimed. They are summons that the gospel must be proclaimed. If the church doesn't do its job, this will not happen. The implication here of these two texts is that the church must proclaim. Therefore, as a member of the church, getting back to Jonathan's question, if the pulpit stops preaching the word of God, you're responsible, I'm responsible as members of the church to address that. Pastor, why did we just get stories today? 
Why did we just get your opinion today and not the word of God? I want to hear the word. I want to be fed. I'm one of the sheep. Luke 24, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. You can see what he's doing here. He's walking with these men, and he's telling them, this is what's going to happen, and the church is to proclaim according to the authority of the inspired word of God. It's based upon divine authority from the inspired scriptures. Thus, it is written. If it is written... What's, remember the Ten Commandments? Uh, so let it be said, let it be done. What, what did he say, the, the Pharaoh? So let it be written, so let it be done. Now that's, you know, Cecil B. DeMille, but so let it be written, so let it be done. That's God's word. Um, the authority, as Jesus himself says, comes from the sacred oracles. Their task... Our task as the church is to bear witness to Jesus, and to do that, we're clothed with the power of the indwelling Spirit. The Spirit dwells in His church. But I think you'll notice in the Great Commission previously in Matthew 28, I don't think it's just a promise. I think there's an element of conditionality in it. If you don't make disciples by baptizing and teaching, I won't be with you to the end of the age. And we've seen that in many churches. He withdraws the gracious presence of his spirit from the church, not his believers. And so we have to be about this task to make sure the spirit is with us as a church. Nothing else, however good it may seem, must be allowed to interfere with this worldwide mission. This is the temptation that has happened so often through the ages. The Christian church gets sidetracked, Christendom. As much as you might think it's a great thing, it's not. Christendom setting up a New Testament theocracy, that's not a good thing. We preach the gospel, liberating captives, good news to the poor. Christian proclamation emphasizes repentance and forgiveness, which is implied in baptizing them. Any questions? Yes, brother. He's summarizing. He's saying, look, whatever God says, it's as good as done. So God told us throughout the Old Testament that the Christ has to suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that this gospel will be proclaimed. That's the summation of the Old Testament. Uh, Law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, right? That covers the whole Old Testament. So what Jesus is doing there is basically saying, look, my father, on his authority, 
and nothing can challenge his authority. This is to be the commission of the church. And then he goes on to tell them, you're going to be witnesses. You know, again, when we started out our study in evangelism, we talked about being witnesses. We are witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word is martyr. We might lose our lives, but that's his steadfast love is better than life, right? Laura? Wonderful. Yeah, I don't think supporting it in terms of, you know, recommending that people be a part of it and even sometimes offering some financial support. I don't think that's just sidetracking us from proclaiming the gospel. I think if we, for example, if we, if somehow that interfered with our proclamation of the gospel, we would be doing something wrong. But we say, you know, this is, this is a good thing. We have members in our church who are intimately involved in it. We'd like to promote it, advance it, but that's about as far as we go. Yeah. Um, let me go here first, and I'll go back to you, Jim. Right. Um, is that like a demonstrable mistake about that phrase? I think so. Yeah, make disciples of the nations. It doesn't translate well. It's make disciples of all nations. So you're gathering the elect out of the nations of every people, language, tribe, and tongue, and making disciples of them. I would, I would vehemently disagree with his translation of that. Yeah. Jim? Two-part question, okay. What would you respond to Ron Brenner, who would condemn the church for not speaking up during the public? I would say that you can't <clears throat> speaking up when we need to. Um, let me give you, let me try to answer your question this way. Yesterday, Ligon Duncan preached, and in his sermon, he was talking about a friend of his who's a pastor. And something happened in their community at large, kind of a traumatic event. And one of the parishioners came up to him during the week and said, hey, pastor, what are you going to preach on this week? Because this thing happened. And he said, well, I preached on Mark 4 last week. I'm going to preach on Mark 5 this week. He said, what, what are you doing? And he says, well, you can't address every single ill in society. We proclaim the word of God. Now, if in the word of God it addresses an issue, you speak about it, right? We don't, we don't step back and not address things. And there may be certain times when you do alter your course and address, like 9-11. I remember we were meeting at VCA on 9-11, and we just had happened to have David Coffin slated to preach for us the following Sunday. Monday was 9-11. So he came in and he said, you know, I'll never forget, he said, it's sort of like, I'm going to say jujitsu. I'm not sure if this is right. But he said, you kind of, the force comes at you and you roll with it and take advantage of it. And he said, I'm going to do that this morning and I'm going to preach. And he preached and dealt with this issue of 9-11. So there are times when you do address if they're extraordinary. So I guess that's how I'd answer your question. Right. Yep. 
Right. So, the, is, is the role of the church also to teach us which things God condemns and then teaches, should teach us to be able to then rebuke others? Absolutely. <coughs> my follow up question is, does, is in your opinion, does, do you think the church does enough? Probably not. I think going through the confession and going through the Ten Commandments, ethics, is very important. We need to understand our ethical responsibilities as Christians and as the church. So we should never get too far away from the Ten Commandments or the two great commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Um, because the fulfillment of the law is love. And if it's not love, it needs to be rebuked. You're right. But we're also to be taught... <clears throat> and this is probably the most difficult thing for me as a Christian, to pray for and love my enemies. I, I just don't know how to do that. It's another worldly thing. And I hope that God gives me the grace if I'm called upon to do that, because right now I just know how weak I am to do that very thing. That, that's the pinnacle of the Christian life, to love your enemies. They're out to kill you, to ruin you, and you're supposed to love them. That requires the Holy Spirit. It's not in me. Jim? I think if we take a look at the condemnment that we are to love our neighbor, when we examine that, more can we do for social justice but to love Yeah, no, that's true. And I think you're right. That is the fulfillment of the law. And I think Jim's, Jim's question and point, and I take it well, is that, look, we do need to be instructed on what that means. So Jesus says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's look at the law. What do the Ten Commandments teach us? What does it prohibit? What does it advocate? So on and so forth. And of course, our forefathers have given us a treasury of exposition of the Ten Commandments. So we need to be talking about that. Uh, Rihanna? Um, to the first slide of like, the social justice <clears throat> Right. And initiate the movement. Like, I know in the homeschool movement, there's like a large movement to raise children because they're the one, the generations coming are going to, you know, make the Lord come back. And right. So we're training them to be lawyers and politicians and all those things. So it's even, it's so full circle. Like, it matters what you're preaching about the end times and what, how that happens. Yeah, very good point. And you're, that's a perfect example of how it diminishes the God-centered focus. Well, it relies upon me. I mean, the incentive is good. Let's train our children to be lawyers, doctors, whatever. But God is the one who's going to send Jesus back, right? It's not me. It's not you. So, yeah, I mean, you can see how the intention might be good, but it's misdirected. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's not loving to condone bad behavior. Um, so, yeah, you're exactly right. 
Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. So here again, the church is, it's reemphasized the worldwide mission of spirit-empowered witness. And as we're going through it, we see the story of Acts is about the disciples' efforts in carrying out this mission. The Spirit is leading them. And it's interesting, isn't it, when Paul says, the Spirit forbade us to go here and directed us to go here. So it's the Spirit-directed, Spirit-empowered witness of the church. And God promises to bless that. It expands from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to Rome, the end of the earth. And he bears witness to the success of the mission when he says the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. In his eyes, spirit's eyes, that's success. It's not changing society. Rome was a brutal empire. It kept them in subjugation. And yet God used all the Roman Pax Romana to spread the gospel, and that was the primary responsibility of the church. So when they talked about success, the word of God increased and multiplied. If we want to talk about success in our day, is the word of God increasing and multiplying? Is it being preached more and more? Does it multiply in the lives of God's people? Are churches being planted? That's success. Um, It's not necessarily how many lawyers we train and how we're infiltrating Washington and that kind of thing. Now, again, Christians should do that. Don't get me wrong. Not the church. Wherever the gospel was preached, seed was sown and bore fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. By phrasing it this way, Luke and the Holy Spirit suggests again that this is the primary mission of the church. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, the risen Christ. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Now, this has been a text that's been misinterpreted by our missional friends. The peace of Christ, peace be with you, the peace that he establishes is the basis for their worldwide ministry. We're at peace with God. We're at peace with our own conscience. It's the message of shalom, which is the blessing that Christ brings to his people. Shalom is the Jewish idea that all is well. Wholeness. Peace with God, peace with conscience comes by virtue of his resurrection from the dead. And the sending of Jesus was primary and central. God sent Jesus. The sending of the church is secondary and subordinate. We are his bride. He has under shepherds. He continues to do the work that he began to do when he was on earth. So this text is important. We do see that God is sending the church The problem is that some see this as a reason for social justice. They argue that Jesus' mission was one of service to the needy. He went about doing good to all he could see. As the Father sent him, they argue, well, okay, he sends us. So the church needs to be about serving others, social justice, curing the ills of society. And again, I think it's a misinterpretation. Jesus did not meet all human needs. He didn't heal all diseases. He didn't solve all the problems of society. He was sent primarily to save people from their sin, guilt, and condemnation. That was his primary mission, Ruthanne. It seems like people that would argue this are interpreting Jesus' acts as being primarily 
his miracles and healings is primarily being about the hurting people. Right. Primarily being about demonstrating his authority and role. That's right. That's well said. Yep. It's not primarily about the victims, the sufferers, even though he had pity on them. It's primarily about who he is in the kingdom of God breaking in and showing the power of the kingdom and what kind of kingdom it is. It's a kingdom of wholeness. When his, as we'll see, when his kingdom comes in its fullness and finality, there's going to be no tears, no death, no disease whatsoever. He was moved to pity by human need and suffering, but he came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The focus of his ministry was on preaching and teaching the good news of salvation by his blood. You know that description of him in the Old Testament? He quotes that when John was in prison and John's wondering, are you the Messiah? And he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf receive their hearing. And how does he conclude? It's, it's like a crescendo. And good news is preached to the poor. That's the crescendo. That's the crowning touch of his ministry. The thrust of it is preaching good news. So the church being sent by Christ as the Father sent him must have the same gospel focus. The mission of the church is very narrow. As we said, the duty of the Christian is very broad. We are to make disciples by baptizing and teaching. Christians love God and neighbor. We can't get sidetracked by endeavors that are otherwise good in themselves. Christians are called to be salt and light, do good to their neighbor, not grow weary in doing good. So we do all kinds of things. And the sky's the limit. You know, go down in Akron and feed the poor. Go to APS. Go build a hospital someplace. Teach in a Christian school. Whatever it is you want to do as a Christian, do good. Don't grow weary. There's tremendous freedom for the individual Christian, but there's a very tight focus for the church. Okay? So the gospel, this thing that we're supposed to proclaim, as we said before, is comprised of basically four different acts. Creation. He created and rules everything. Man is God's vicegerent. Some people say vice-regent. I looked that up. It's supposed to be vice-gerent. That's the actual word. His under-king, under-prince, whatever you want to say. So creation is the first act. <clears throat> Fall is the second. Adam disobeyed and earned God's wrath, curse, and exile. There's alienation. We're not right with God. Something has to be done to get us right with God. That's the most important thing. We're going to die. Whatever, this world ha- whatever happens in this world, we're going to die. So you need to be right with God. And <clears throat> the fall has massive implications for the human race. We're alienated. Redemption. The flood was ineffective. It didn't do away with evil. So God promised Abram that he would send a seed, and it's fulfilled in Christ. Redemption. There's the good news. Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled. The promised one has come. And finally, consummation, the church bears witness, and we look forward to his return. Four acts, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's a very succinct summation of the gospel, and the church is to be the witness of this to the world. We can't get away from this idea of alienation, guilt, condemnation, wrath, curse, exile. It's so important because God uses that to affect the conscience. So it's not about us working with God, social justice. It's about God's work to make us right with him so that we can live with him again in heaven. 
I know this is belaboring the point. I think it's important to labor this because so many people get this wrong. So many good-intentioned people. The church itself has a narrow focus. Broadly, the gospel is the good news about God remaking the world and accepting Christ as the down payment. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people, those people in that time at that place. Narrowly, it's about God saving sinners through Christ. Forgiveness of sins. So the gospel can refer to all God's promises or sinners saved by Christ. That's the message. That's the focus. If you wonder what the church is to be about, it's to be about proclaiming the gospel and feeding the sheep with the gospel. Any question? Oh, Mark? Right. And the focus was on, you know what, we're good people. And that's why you need the church to be around other people. And all the social justice, this is nothing new. Uh, and it's the application of the gospel to the point that even the Secretary of State uh, took surplus swords and then had them beaten into clouds. You know, so it was, uh, it was, they had lost the gospel to such a point that the church was actually not Christian. It was a different That's exactly right. <clears throat> you know, G.K. Chesterton, I, I, I'm not going to be able to quote him exactly, but he said something like this, and referring to the idea that the majority view, the prevailing view in the Christian church is liberalism. Sadly. And he said, you know, most Christians don't know what Christianity is. And if they ever find out what it is, they're not going to like it. <laughs> and he's right. Because the gospel is more offensive to our humanity than the law is. That's right. You're right. That's a very good way to put it. Was there another hand that I missed? Yes, brother. Ward? So, I grew up uh, in this sort of a significant way Right. Uh, so, how do we understand the difference between? Is there a charge to personally evangelize to every Christian, or is it uh, only? How do we understand? The question is, how do we understand our responsibility as individual Christians? And you are called to be a witness. You are called to love your neighbor. You are called to disciple your children, to encourage your brethren, to. Uh, serve the church, to serve the community. In all these ways, you're bearing witness in word and deed, right? So the, the call, the summons, the command to make disciples is on the church. And you're part of the church, so you contribute what you can. Now, it's not just somebody sitting down and catechizing the person. That's not all that's involved in discipleship. It could even mean getting the person to church. That right there, that's important. If they can't get to church, the church can't disciple them. 
So you see, it encompasses a whole plethora of things involved, and we're all contributing in, in various ways. And I don't think the, the preacher himself is not the most important, although the preaching act is very important. Does that make sense? Yeah. We're all a part of this. And I've often said, you know, and the, the standards even bear this out, that hearing is as important as preaching. The responsibility on the hearer is as equal, equally important and sobering as the responsibility on the preacher. And as you come and you hear conscionably, diligently, with preparation and prayer, examining the scriptures, receiving the word as the word of God, you know, meditating on it and conferring about it with your brethren, hiding it in your heart, bearing fruit in your life, all of that is involved in it. So, you know, the individual Christian has a big responsibility, but you don't have to have any false guilt, like, well, how many disciples have I made, you know? (laughs) But as parents, it's a huge responsibility, you know? Mom is the first theologian that the crib sees. Very important. Seasons in life when moms can't do a lot of stuff because they're busy with young children, and that's okay. Over the years, I have counseled moms with young children. They feel really bad. I can't get my quiet time in, and I can't read the Bible every day because I'm, I go to try to do it, and my, you know, my child has a need or something. Rely upon the church. In a season of life, you can't do everything. I remember the story of Susanna Wesley. What did she have, 11? Did she have 11 children, on Nine or 11. I mean, when you get up that high, <laughs> you lose count. But she would sit in the kitchen. She would take her apron, put it over her head, and her children knew that was her quiet time. So she would <laughs> pray or would do whatever she did, and the children are all around, you know, but she would cover her head with her apron. That was her quiet time. So um, I think we're, we're too far gone. We, we can skip this. Any final comments or questions? Ray? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and again, you know, we trying to think charitably. We think, okay, the intention might be good because we're trying to teach our people how to serve, giving the opportunities to serve. I've heard a friend of mine, a fellow pastor, say that. But we are depriving them of what they need to serve. And that's the difficulty. And so Jesus said three times, and when the Bible emphasizes something, wants to emphasize something, it repeats it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Truly, truly, I say to you. So he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. So important. And as Mark said, you know, with the whole idea of liberalism, I mean, it's just... um, they lose any rootage. They're not abiding in Christ. John and I were talking about abiding in Christ this week. You're not abiding in Christ. That's one of the ways you abide in Christ. The branch is taken away from the vine. So, I've kept you too long. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instruction in the Word. We thank you for the church and its sole focus of 
making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll help us as a church to do that very thing and then enable us as individual Christians, as believers, to fulfill our responsibility of loving you and loving our neighbor and all the various ways that we can do that. Please prepare us for worship now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.